Today's video was recorded on February 14, 2023, and today's lesson is the fifth in our series on God's appointed feasts. So in this week's lesson, we explore the counting of the Omer, and this is a ritual that happens during the time between Passover and the next major holiday, the Festival of Weeks. Now this holiday, Festival of Weeks, is called Shavuot in Hebrew, which means weeks, or Pentecost in Greek. And the ritual is a 49-day countdown that leads you toward the Festival of Weeks and the celebration of receiving God's Word as a gift from heaven. And of course, this is the same day that the Christian Church celebrates Pentecost. Pentecost is the same holiday. And that's where the gift from heaven was the Holy Spirit. Now, an important aspect of these holidays is that since they're commanded by God to be celebrated each year, they're not separate, they're not unrelated events, even though they may appear that way to us. These holidays are coordinated by God to take us each year through a ritual celebration that provides a path towards final redemption and for the community to create a space where the presence of God can reside with his people. So learning the different aspects of all of the holidays, well, that helps us then to see how intricately they are connected. Now, just as a reminder, each week we provide you a lesson handout. So make sure you download that handout to use while you're watching the video if you're on YouTube or listening on a podcast format. These lesson plans are designed to help you capture the essential details and then document your thoughts along the way. So you'll find a link in the description section below, and that'll take you to where you can download the handout as a PDF. So we hope you enjoyed today's lesson on the counting of the Omer and the ritual of how we approach that amazing holiday of Pentecost. We're going to be heading towards Mount Sinai. So I was struggling trying to figure out what to name the lesson, because what I really want to do is show the approach towards the holiday of Shavuot, that's Hebrew, Pentecost, that's Greek, Festival of Weeks, whatever we want to call it, because we've been kind of stuck on Passover. So this is going to be, if we leave Passover, all the holidays in between, and what's leading up to that holiday of uh, the Festival of Weeks, or Shavuot. Okay, so this is our the fifth week in a row and what we're going to do is I'll do a quick rundown. I listed all the holidays. I'm only going to talk through the first couple. Just to, to put it back into our mind here, God's holiday system, we have Passover, 14th day, unleavened bread, 15th day, then first fruits, day after the Sabbath. They always happen in the same week, in the first month of the year for the Israelites, which is sometime in the spring, March to April. Then we get the next holiday that we're moving towards called the Festival of Weeks, because God says count seven weeks. We'll read that later. Count 50 days. It's these four holidays, and we're going to kind of go very quickly. We've already been over Passover. Obviously, the significance of Passover, Jesus is the Lamb, and how many different ways the New Testament writers present that to us, 
And it's so deeply ingrained in that culture and deeply ingrained into the New Testament and how the, the, the imagery that's coming out of it. So if we're covered in the, in the blood of Jesus, then we are delivered in our own type of exodus from the totalitarian nature of sin or whatever it is. So he's the, functionally, Jesus is that Passover lamb. Okay, then we said, all right, what's the next holiday? Well, unleavened bread. And we'll talk a little bit about some of the significance of this, because A, Jesus is the unleavened bread. Now, he's the bread of the world, but he's unleavened. He doesn't have any sin. So we'll talk a little bit about what would be the point of that unleavened bread right after being delivered out of the bondage of sin. Then we'll talk first fruits because, once again, Jesus is the first fruits. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. So we have that holiday, a one day holiday. And then that first fruit holiday kicks off a 49 day period because the next one leading up to the Feast of Weeks, God is saying, count seven weeks, count 50 days. Okay. So there's a countdown period up to that next festival. And what's so cool is this lines up also with the book of Exodus. All of them do, but in this one, it's lining up when God's delivering his word, the Torah, his instruction manual, his guidebook. He's delivering that on Mount Sinai. So it's this amazing gift from heaven that God we don't have to be guessing what God might want. He's not like all the other gods. He tells us what he wants, and he, then he tells us the best way for us to walk in the world. So we get this amazing gift from heaven. It descends to humanity, expressing God's will. How can we be in relationship with a completely uh, transcendent other? That's not easy for human beings. So that holiday takes on much more than just a festival of wheat. Now, as I've mentioned, Shavuot is the Hebrew word for weeks, so the festival of weeks is called Shavuot. In Greek, of course, is Pentecost. And so once again, we see in our Bible a second gift from heaven. The first one was his, his word. We need God's word. The second one is Holy Spirit. So we need both, right? We need to be, we need to have a foundation in the text, in the Bible, the Word of God. We need to be grounded by it. But we also need the strength of the Holy Spirit. So it's when we get both, as we'll see, God's kingdom explodes from there out into the world as the disciples and the apostles are taking the Word of God out to all the nations. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to walk through unleavened bread, first fruits, and leading up to, there's a little ceremony of those 49 days leading up to the Festival of Weeks, okay? All right, so the first one, of course, Feast of Unleavened Bread. So if you would, turn, I just want to read where it's going to talk about the Festival of Unleavened Bread. If you go to Exodus 12, I'm going to be in Exodus 12, 
to 16, and then Leviticus 23. So if you want to keep your finger or your marker or a note card or something in, in those two. So the Festival of Unleavened Bread, Exodus 12, we're just going to read three verses, 14 to 17. Well, I guess that's four verses. It's interesting that God's going to celebrate him drawing you out of Egypt with a holiday that you don't eat leaven. And so where's the connection? What do we need to connect to say, ah, now I understand what I'm doing during this holiday, okay? So verse 14, he says, This day shall be for you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord through your generations. You shall keep it as an ordinance forever. Verse 15, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. So there's our festival that goes from the 15th day and the last night, or that starts on the 15th night, ends on the 21st. Even that first day you shall put away yeast out of your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. Now that's pretty serious. There's something going on here. Now, verse 16 says, on the first day, you're going to have a holy convocation, right? You're going to have a, a Sabbath. And then in the seventh day, you're going to have another holy convocation. No manner of work should be done in them, except that which every man must eat, that only may be done by you. And then here's verse 17 that I wanted to get to. You shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For in this same day I have brought your regiments out of the land of Egypt, and therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an ordinance forever. When you read in Exodus, as God is giving these commandments for the holidays, one of the most important things, even for our Christian holidays, is you have to tell the story of your people to your kids. Do this, and when your kids ask you, why are we doing this? Ah, because God delivered us from the hand of the Pharaoh. It's all about creating that sense of long history that grounds us as human beings in community when we have that shared history and family. But the question is then, what's up with this little feast without leaven? And why is it important that, that it, it reminds us about drawing out of Egypt? So, so the first thing, well, let's, let me, I'll put this up first. First of all, we notice Jesus is the unleavened bread, and I already mentioned that. So when we go to this festival, as even throughout the generations, that's what Jesus is showing up as, without sin. Now, there's two things happening. Egypt represents the world. So if you just figure, it's not just God against Pharaoh, God has to show the world that he is Lord. So Egypt is like a, the little representation of the world, and we all know leaven is sin. It's the ways of the world. And what has to happen when you get saved, and even the Israelites from that moment as they're coming out of Egypt, to somebody today who says, Yes, God, they respond to God on a Sunday. There has to be some kind of ritual that separates you from the world. 
There's so much in our New Testament that says, you are in the world, but you're not of the world. Your citizenship, Paul says, is in heaven, not here on earth. And so you have to be different, set apart. In Romans, do not be conformed to the world. So what you get is an idea. God says, ah, I pull you out of the world, away from that sinful behavior. You need a seven days of some kind of ritual cleansing, getting the sin out. Because then you can distinctly separate from the world. And so it's, an, it's a sacrament, it's a ritual. And so if you did this every single year, every year you remember how, ugh, I'm still enslaved to something. You know, last year it was this, and this year it's this. And I got to go through a process where I'm going to remove something from my life that reminds me that I need to be separated from the world so that I can be a citizen of heaven rather than here on earth. You know, and you can imagine somebody goes to church on Sunday and, uh, you know, says yes to God, but doesn't do anything, goes right back to his old friends, goes right back into you know, the world that he was in, he'll find himself in the same place the next Sunday. And then the next Sunday, and the next Sunday, and you get the point. So it's when we can separate from the ways that we're accustomed to. Now, how did the Israelites do? Terrible. They were having a real hard time separating themselves from Egypt. Ah, if we could only go back there, at least we had pots of meat, and there was water, and we weren't, you know, so it's, you could see they're having a hard time separating from where they were. So it's a great ritual of separation that says, every year I want to get a little bit closer to God and use this ritual as the path to do that. Okay, so that's what I think is spiritually what's going on. I think that's going on with the Israelites, and then I think what God wants us to do every year as a, as a ritual is to help separate us from the sin. It's also a great spring cleaning of sin. Get all, the, get all the leaven out of your house so you have to focus. Once a year, do a little spring cleaning and get the, get the leaven out of your house. All right, so that's Feast of Unleavened Bread. Then, the very next day, what do we get? We get first fruits. That's the next day, not even really a festival of sorts. It's the day of first fruits. So in, for this one, I want you to turn to Leviticus. And we'll do a couple in Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23, 9 to 11. So the Lord spoke to Moses. He says, Speak to the children of Israel and tell them, When you have come into the land which I give you, and you shall reap its harvest, then you shall bring the sheaf. And I bolded that with the Hebrew word is omer, because we're going to get to the counting of the omer. So when you bring the sheaf, that's the omer, of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest, and he shall wave that sheaf, the omer, before the Lord to be accepted for you. And this happens on the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. So, first things first, right? Who is the first fruit? Well, it's Jesus, right? And Paul says, He's the first fruit of the resurrection, because in our tradition within our church, church tradition, Friday night 
Friday is the Passover, right? Good Friday. He's buried on Saturday. He's raised on Sunday, right? And then, and the day after the Sabbath then becomes the first fruits. Because that's what it says. Celebrate the first fruits. Let me go back here. Celebrate on the day after the Sabbath. So that would be Sunday. And of course, Jesus' resurrection, he's the first fruit. Now, he's a first fruit offering. Actually, God is offering that up. Just like he offered up Jesus as the Passover lamb, he's offering up the resurrection for us. So, Resurrection Sunday, if you go to a Messianic Jewish temple, that's when they celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. They celebrate it as the holiday of first fruits, because that's when Jesus is coming out of the ground. And of course, the ceremony that's happening is you're bringing the very first fruit or grain, in this case, it would be barley, and you're bringing it to God and you're placing it in the hands of God. And you have faith that God will provide the rest. So it's a little bit like a tithe to first fruit offering. And so what's happening is if we place our faith in God, in God's action of resurrection and the promise of resurrection, because he shows us that Jesus is the first fruit, right? So we place our faith in God, then we're expressing faith that God will resurrect us. So we have a regular first fruit offering that God's going to provide. But then God says, I'll make this first fruit offering. And my promise is, is that in the future, there's going to be a resurrection. This world is not the end. And so even though it looks unjust and you may feel like it's meaningless, it's not. And this has a radical shift on the way people so many people had terrible lives in the first century in that time. If you were born into a slave family and you were stuck as a slave, and then someone comes along and says, but there's justice in the afterlife, and now you have a whole new outlook and it brings meaning. This is not the end of the world, it's just a stopping over point. So the first fruit offering and the first fruit that Jesus is the first fruit of the resurrections is that promise of provision that's coming in the future. So not only do we provide a thank, a first fruit offering to God, God gives one to us to give us the confidence that the resurrection will happen one day. And it's, of course, the holiday that we recognize Jesus' resurrection. Okay, so you have unleavened bread. Passover, you're delivered. Unleavened bread, you've got to separate yourself, a ritual of separation from the world and sin. You've got a first fruit offering, the first fruits out of the ground to say, yes, God, I know you're going to provide in the future. Now, what happens next is kind of the cool thing. You have the first fruit offering. It's called the Omer. And the next thing that happens is, well, what people call it today is the counting of the Omer. Now, it comes from the commandment to count down to the Feast of Weeks. You're counting down 49 days to the next holiday. And 
on the 50th day, we're going to celebrate the Festival of Weeks. So if you look in Leviticus 23, we're still there. Look at verse 15 and 16. So this is the command to count down. Verse 15 starts from the day after the Sabbath, right? That's how we know when first fruit is. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf or the omer of the wave offering. From that day, you start the countdown. Count seven full weeks, which is, of course, 49 days. Verse 16, count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. So that's where we get our holiday of Pentecost because of the Greek word for 50 days. Okay, so it's a countdown, right? And it looks something like this. And this is when we start lining up the holidays together, right? Passover, you've got the delivery, you're, pr you're protected from the blood or by the blood that's on your doorpost. God pulls you out. He needs to separate you from the world so that you can go be with him, that unleavened bread. And then you have the first fruits. And from that day counting, there's a countdown, 49 days, then next holiday, Feast of Weeks, or Greek Pentecost, okay? The countdown is called the counting of the Omer, and this will, I'll get to the point here in a minute, but you can do lots of things with this counting down, like you're focusing and focusing and focusing as you get to that place of the Feast of Weeks. So if we look say, at just Exodus, because these holidays fit Exodus, and they also fit the idea of us in redemption. So we say, ah, they delivered on the 14th day, uh, or on the 14th day, they sacrificed the lamb, they put the blood on the door. On the 15th day, they're pulled out. They have, now in Exodus, there is no specifically first fruits, but we, it fits in there, and you start counting down. And this is the 49-day countdown counting of the Omer, and then you get to the Festival of Weeks, and that's going to line up, we'll see, with the arrival at Mount Sinai. That's why it's important that we understand what's happening in Exodus, because that's going to be the significance of the holiday. Now, in Exodus 16, we're going to read it here in a minute, Exodus 16, this is what's remarkable. You have the word Omer in Leviticus 23, a wave offering that is the Omer. Well, where do we find that word first? Where is the, the, the place that the only place we find the word Omer before Leviticus 23 is in Exodus. It's Exodus 16, right after they've been delivered out. They've gone through the Red Sea. This is where God delivers bread, the manna. And so Exodus 16, you shall take an Omer. That's how they're measuring how much manna to take. So you can connect the holiday, or you can connect this counting of the Omer with what's going on in Exodus. It's all there in Exodus. Because this is where we find that word, the Omer. It's where God's giving them bread from heaven. Okay, so turn with me, if you would, to Exodus 16, because there's just, I mean, this whole chapter, Exodus 16, is a fascinating study of the manna. There's so many unique things going on in the text. But turn to Exodus 16, and then we'll read this. And of course, I'll show you, it's all connected to Jesus as well. So this gets really cool how, um, well, I'll show you in a minute how it connects to Jesus. All right, so Exodus 16, manna and quail. 
verse 4. So God says to Moses, look, I'm going to rain bread down from heaven for you. Now, right there, you know, as, as Christians, we go, ah, I know who that is, right? The bread, the bread that comes out of heaven. I got it. I'm going to rain bread, bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. Now, here's what's interesting and the reason why I want to show you verse 4. It says, that I may test them whether they're going to walk in my law or not. So God doesn't just give them manna in heaven. He says, ah, now it's not a, it's not a tempting like we're trying to deceive you into get, doing something wrong. I want to watch your character. As you're walking with me and you're coming up to Mount Sinai, because I'm going to enter a covenant with you, it's a type of testing. And it's not just testing bad, it's a type of strengthening. I'm going to watch you deal with these commandments. Because when you don't do them, it's not going to go well. But if you do do them, then things start going well. So what's cool about this is it's a period of time that helps to refine character, right? God wants to watch your character being refined. And I think in a way, because he's about to make a covenant with his people. And a covenant, of course, is a relationship. I mean, if you're, gonna, if you're dating somebody, you want to consider whether they become your husband or wife, enter a marriage covenant, you got to watch their character. How are they going to do? Are they going to have the strength of character to survive a marriage? Well, you better pay attention to that. So there's an interesting thing going on here. He's not just feeding them. He's watching them to see how they do. Now, let's go from verse 4, look at verse 16, because here's where we finally see the word omer. Verse 16, he says, This is the thing which the Lord commanded. Gather of it everyone according to his eating, an omer ahead. So each person is supposed to collect an omer of manna. According to the number of your persons, you shall take it, every man for those that are in his tent. Now, there's something that's really, well, it's strange and cool at the same time, and it reminds me of our Lord's Prayer, right? Give us our day, our daily bread. It's just like manna from heaven. God is going to give you sustenance. How much? Does he give you a, does he give you a whole garage full, a, an extra three-car garage? No. He gives you exactly what you need in the moment. And if you try to take too much, it spoils. So. Don't do that. You got to take, you know, just like Jesus says, give us today our daily bread. It's just enough what we're going to need. And that's what God will give you when you're in obedience to him. Now look at the very next verse, verse 17. It says, the children of Israel did so, and some gathered more, some less. And when they measured it with an omer, the one who gathered much, well, he didn't have any left over. And the one who gathered little, he didn't lack anything. Basically, every person gathered according to what they needed, and everything was provided for them. It's an amazing picture of God providing the sustenance. How much? Exactly what you need. If you take too much or you don't eat it all, it spoils. If you're not obeying enough and you, and you don't do a double portion on Friday, you don't have anything, the manna doesn't show up. And it's an illuminating little thing about what's happening is God is watching their character and watch how they, they behave. Now, 
The question is, and I forgot to put this on your um, your handout, so I apologize for that, but you guys know the answer to this. I'm just going to read it real quick off the screen. What does Jesus say about himself, right? Well, in John, he had just fed 5,000. It's John chapter 6. They fed 5,000. They come to him again, and he starts having a discussion of bread and manna. And now he's going to say, the manna in the wilderness, I'm like that, right? But I'm one that when you eat it, you don't even die. I'm the one who's the bread from heaven. So Jesus is not only the unleavened bread, but he's the manna from heaven, right? He says, verse 48, I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in heaven in the wilderness, and they still died. But this bread, which comes down out of heaven, that anyone eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down out of heaven. So we even have a connection. And the reason I'm bringing this up is when you get to the counting of the Omer, we can still connect that forward to Jesus. So there's still a piece in there for us Christians to say, ah, Jesus is just like the manna. And you go, well, I don't understand how counting of the Omer, oh, well, it connects right back to the part where God's giving manna, and that's the measurement. So it's so intricately connected, it almost becomes, well, you just have to do it over and over and over to begin to see how these things fit together. So here's what I think is going on with these, because we went from Passover to unleavened bread to first fruits to the counting of the Omer, and we're on our way to Mount Sinai. And the way that it's viewed in many Jewish communities is you are on a journey to receive God's word. These holidays are, they're like a picture. They're a mural in a way. They, scene by scene, the ritual that you reenact year after year, and each year you're desiring to move closer to God and you're preparing yourself once again to receive his word. And not just they're not random holidays, and, and I hope you can see that, that they're, they're interconnected, and God's putting, he's giving you the path to walk. Okay, so it would look something like this, right? You start with that Passover, we're all delivered. Each year, we're going to celebrate our deliverance, just like we were the ones back in Egypt. We go through the unleavened bread, where we're separating ourselves. The first fruits, we have a first fruit offering, and then we begin to do the counting. And just like God is providing manna from heaven, the Omer, we're going to do the counting of the Omer, 49 days as we move forward. And the next holiday is the Festival of Weeks. And then what happens biblically is those two amazing things are delivered on that day, on that festival. First, the Torah comes down out of heaven. It's a gift from God delivered in Exodus that we would have God's word. And then second, of course, is the deliverance of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. So you get this amazing process that we go through leading us down the path. So if we go, we look at this, Exodus, you have Exodus, God delivers what? He delivers the Torah. Acts chapter 2, God delivers again, same holiday, Holy Spirit. And so, the one thing I really love about this, too, 
the separating ourselves out of the world very intentionally with the unleavened bread, the counting of the omer, where every day you're preparing yourself to, in our case, receive that Holy Spirit again. And there's, a, there's an element of character building, spiritual strengthening and character building in it. So I think for me, looking at this, just an interesting way that they, they weave character and the, a bit of testing into that journey. So hopefully you can see that, that it's a bit of a spiritual journey. And then what we're going to do, the, the final thing I have is we're going to just talk about Psalm 67 right now, and I want you to read it before next week. Psalm 67 and Psalm 68. It's an example from certain Jewish communities, and part of their ritual and the counting of the Omer is to read Psalm 67 for 49 days in a row leading up to Pentecost, and then on that 50th day, Pentecost, you read Psalm 68. Now, why? Why would this make sense as a ritual? What does it have to do with anything? Well, if you look at Psalm 67, and we're not going to read the whole thing tonight, but if you get a chance, go back and read that. The first thing we notice is Psalm 67 looks like it's built specifically for the Festival of Weeks. It's exactly 49 Hebrew words. Now, it's not that in English, so we kind of missed that point, but it's 49 Hebrew words. And the, the theme of it, there's two themes, salvation to the nations. That God's word would spread to the whole world. So salvation to the nations. And the second one is, it's a harvest time. So that's what all the harvest ones, we go right to Pentecost. Big harvest feast of the wheat. And this is exactly what happens in our New Testament, right? We have the Acts chapter 2 Pentecost, the Holy Spirit goes out, and what happens to the kingdom of God? It explodes around the world. So it's bringing God's salvation throughout the world, Judea to Samaria, to, or Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. It's God's kingdom advancing out through the power of the Holy Spirit that was given that day on Pentecost. So we'll do a bit of this next week with Psalm 67, but if you get a chance, read it, and then we'll look at Psalm 68, because it's about the power coming out of heaven in Jerusalem, and I think it's exactly what's happening in Acts chapter 2. So, okay, the main point of tonight is to connect. We have a span of time between those, the Passover and when we get to that next holiday, uh, the Festival of Weeks, but it's not an empty span of time. You don't just say, Ah, we had our Passover meal, see at Pentecost. No, there's a whole bunch going on, and the Bible shows us that as we're learning to place more and more our faith in God to provide for our every need through the d deliverance of the manna, the counting of the omer, preparing ourselves spiritually, strengthening our character. It's all of these holidays coming together, and I know this is the third time I've done it, but you can't see them as separate. They're integrated from Passover to unleavened bread to first fruits. Then we're going to count down, counting of the Omer, up until the point. And every single year, preparing ourselves to receive the Torah just like they did at Mount Sinai and to receive the Holy Spirit just like they did in Acts chapter 2 and stand before God, who we're about to enter re again. It's almost like you could do your, just like you do your wedding anniversary. 
You could say, God, I'm going to enter the covenant again. I'll reaffirm my faith in my covenant relationship with you. And this is what I think can, can be so exciting about the holiday of Pentecost. I kind of feel like I'm on a little bit of a mission to bring life to a, a holiday that's kind of fallen by the wayside. Anyways, okay, so that's approaching Shavuot. That's what we're doing the whole way along. And so cool when we can start to integrate these little ideas that are in the Bible but are often seen as, you know, separated and uh, have nothing to do with each other. So that's the idea of approaching Shavuot. <laughs> 